Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from slumber, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Great God and Father, we are overwhelmed once again with the immense blessing, the joy of being together in your presence, under your word, to hear you speak, to hear you direct us and guide us, that you have taken it upon yourself not to leave us with questions about your will, but rather you have directed us clearly as to your desire for us, your understanding of this world, by giving us your scripture. Lord, we thank you for that, and we pray that you would allow the very thing that it witnesses and testifies to, the glory of our salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to shine through every minute of this time, deep into our hearts, we pray. Through Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen. My one uh, real brush with fame came about 35 years ago when I was asked to be the host and to uh, be kind of the, the guide for a very famous theologian who came into town to speak at a local conference. And I got to, for a whole weekend, basically follow him around and uh, be able to serve him. Uh, I fetched him coffee. I carried his bags. I directed him to the right spot. I got him chairs to sit on. It was an incredible joy and an incredible blessing uh, for me to be able to do that for him. And I never thought anything else of it other than the, what a great joy it was to serve this man. He had come to Pittsburgh, and as he came to Pittsburgh, there was a great desire within me and I'm sure many other people to serve him. He was worthy of that because of the fact that he had had such a huge impact upon my life and his writings and his thinking, and it was a great joy for me to serve him because of the position, because of who he was, because of the the blessing that he had been to so many, it was an eagerness for me to serve him. He came to where I was, and I wanted to serve him. I wanted to bless him. We are in the midst of our Advent season, as Brendan had mentioned. This is our third week, and we are exploring the question of why it is that Jesus came. So we've got the idea that Advent is the anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ, and we recognize as believers that Christ's coming is really the central core understanding of Christmas. There's a lot of things that go on, a lot of wonderful things that go on, but Jesus really is the reason for the season. But then we have to ask the question, why is that? What, what is it that 
happened here because Christ came to earth. Why is it so important that Christ came to earth? And we've looked at it, and you can look at this a bunch of different ways. What we're choosing to do is to take Jesus' own words. Uh, frequently, throughout Scripture, amazingly, so many times, once you start looking into it, Christ identifies and says, look, I came to earth for this reason. And he actually identifies the reason why he came to earth. And so, what's the reason for the season? If Jesus is the reason why we focus so much upon Christmas, why Christmas is such a crucial idea for us, what's the reasoning behind Jesus coming? We've uh, nicknamed this series The Christmas Journey to the Cross to try to capture that picture that, yes, Christmas is a wonderful, glorious thing, but Christmas is a step along a greater process. There is a a purpose that is involved, and we want to look at that overarching purpose. The passage in which we're looking at today is where Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to look at the latter part of that verse a little bit later, but for us today, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Now, the background of this text, some of you might remember, uh, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, were daydreaming about all the wonders of it was going to be, the glory that they would receive, the the benefits that they would have by being Jesus' right-hand men. Uh, And they were daydreaming of the fact that at some point here, when Jesus comes into his glory, when he is fulfilled in all of his blessings and purposes, whenever that is going to happen, then they are going to receive uh, a lot of honor and praise because they are Jesus' right-hand men. Jesus is important to them. They are important to Jesus. Therefore, when glory shines down upon Jesus, some of it is going to reflect back on them. And the two of them were talking about that with some other folks along the way. Jesus gets wind of this, and Jesus challenges that by identifying a key idea here. And that key idea is right in the middle of that verse there. The Son of Man came not to be served. Now, I think we gloss too quickly over that because we're excited to hear what Jesus says about why he did come, but to serve. And we are indeed going to look at some, uh, spend some time looking at that, but not to miss that opening gambit there that Jesus says, that he came not to be served. Now, you take a second and you think about that. There was every right for the disciples to think and for us to think that Christ came to this earth, and part of that is so that he might be served. I have been a follower of the Lord for 35, 40 years at this point, and every ounce of my body, every bit of who I am, wants nothing more than to serve him because he came to earth. Forget that guy that I worked with 35 years ago, I appreciated that he came to Pittsburgh, and because he came to Pittsburgh, I wanted to give of myself for him. It made sense. It was reasonable for that to be the case. Here Jesus says, look, he acknowledges the innate desire that many of us have to serve Jesus. We want to give to him, and it's right for us to feel that way. Remember, by this time, Jesus had begun to explain more clearly to his disciples who he was. Uh, There's always a question how much they really recognized his divinity, the fact that he was God, but it was starting to leak out to them. The disciples kind of, kind of 
kind of got the picture, because here you can see it specifically with James and John and their dialogue together about who's going to be most honored in Jesus' presence when he comes into his kingdom. They recognize that he was a king, and kings deserve to be served. And so it makes sense that people, us, that Jesus' disciples, the people around him at that time, would immediately default to the idea, hey, Jesus came to earth here. Jesus has come to my house. Jesus has come to this land, and he deserves to be served. And so now let's give of ourselves to serve him. And Christ then, in a very shocking way, perhaps even more shocking than the idea that he came to serve, is the idea that Jesus came to this earth. The king, the creator himself, God himself, comes to this earth and he says, look, the point here is not that I would be served. What is his point? Not to be served, but Jesus has come in order to serve. What is the key concept? What, what lies behind the purpose for the Christmas season? It is so that Jesus could be in a position to serve. Now, before we explore that, and we're going to, we need to first get our minds ratcheted around what it means to serve. Because we use that term, we use that term a lot here. Uh, if you've been around the, our church for the past year or so, you know that we are focusing on this idea of worship plus two. And one of the ideas is the three core components, I think, of discipleship. Worship, learning, education, growing, and then service. That, we dis, that part of our discipleship is to serve. And so we use the concept of serving quite a lot. And I suppose that I have in mind the same thing that you have in mind. We give of our time. We give of our energy, we give of our effort, everything that we have in order to benefit somebody else. When we give of ourselves in that way, when we do what we can for the benefit of somebody else, we are serving them. And my picture within the Worship Plus Two pattern is that as we serve other people like that, that our own hearts are changed, that our own souls are molded and shaped and fashioned more and more into the image of God. So this idea of serving people is very important, and that's great. But if we have that in mind, the idea of volunteerism or something like that, you know, that when we serve, we are basically volunteering our time, we're giving of, of our abundance to benefit other people, etc. If we have that understanding of service, we will underplay, we will miss the force of Jesus' statement that he came not to be served, but to serve. To serve in our society today, in our mentality, uh, for the past 2,000 years, um, our culture has been shaped and molded to understand service as a blessing, as something that is good, as something that is positive. That was not the case. When Jesus said that he came to serve, he was identifying himself not with those who give out of their abundance, not with those who want to minister to other people's needs. He was demeaning himself, belittling himself, identifying himself with something that is very, very lowly in life. To serve another person in that culture and in that time period, the way that Jesus understood serving, was to put yourself below them in a demeaning manner, and in order to then 
care for their earthly needs in every possible way, not out of a service of, of gifting and of love and all that kind of stuff, but rather because you had to do so to serve in that culture in that time period. When Jesus says that he came to serve, this is the, the picture is not that he came to do good things for us, but rather that he came to serve in such a manner that for us would be hard to embrace and to recognize because we view service as such a positive thing. They viewed service as something that was fit only for slaves, only for the lower class, the, the, the small, the weakest, the most useless of society. Those are the ones who served. And when Jesus says here, look, I came to serve, he was identifying a characteristic, a trait in mind that is hard for us to wrap around because we have such a positive connotation when it comes to the idea of service. So as we look at these things, I want to point out four different characteristics. We could go on and on about it, but I want to point out four different characteristics. The, the word behind the idea of service in the Greek here, it's, it's waiting on tables. Now we think of waiting on tables as a as a positive thing, you know, a waitress or a waiter, um, oh, we give them tips. Most of us appreciate the work they do and we thank them for it. That in our minds, waiting on tables is just a, it's a good job, it's a sufficient way. It, there's no hierarchy of form here that the waitress is somehow less than me because she serves me. That's her job and that's a great job for her to have. Back in those days, to wait on tables, to serve like that, was to acknowledge yourself as less than. It was to humble yourself, to, to demean yourself in front of, or to be recognized as being lower than somebody else. When Jesus says that he came here to serve, he's identifying, I believe, four different characteristics, at least four different traits, that I think it's gonna be most helpful for us to wrap around. Why did Jesus come to Christmas? Why was Christmas, why, why was he born here? Why do we celebrate his birth? We celebrate his birth because behind that birth is the purpose that Jesus came to serve. Okay, what does Jesus mean by that? First is this, to serve is an act of sacrifice. To serve is an act of sacrifice. If you come and ask me for 20 bucks and I give you 20 bucks, that is no sacrifice on my part. I'm not, I don't have a lot of money. Uh, like the rest of you, things are tight here for me as they are for, for all of you. But trust me, I can give you 20 bucks. If you ask me for 100 bucks, don't, by the way. Uh, <laughs> this is a terrible illustration. Where did I come up? If you ask me for 100 bucks, even that's not much of a sacrifice. You ask for a whole lot more than that, and suddenly it starts to hurt a little bit. It starts to pinch. Service in Jesus' time was not giving out of your abundance. It was giving out of your poverty. To serve is a hard thing to do. It is a difficult thing to do. It is a costly thing to do. That is built into the very concept of this that Jesus realized completely when he said, hey, I have not come to be served, I have come to serve. I have come to give of what I can for your benefit. Now, hold on for a second. We're talking about Jesus here, the creator of all the worlds, the guy who has everything. He has all knowledge. He has all wealth. He has all power. He has all authority. 
Where is his poverty that he can give something to? He has but one life. He has but one life. And that is what he has offered in service to you and in service to me. The God who has everything but is poor in at least this one area. He has but one life. And it is out of that life that he gives. And of course you can tell that that's exactly what he's talking about in the latter half of the verse that we're not going to look at today where he says, look, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. The whole point of his coming was to lead him to the cross where there would be this huge sacrifice on his part. Our Lord's coming to serve was built around the concept of costly sacrifice. Now, most of us shy away from that kind of service. We're willing to give of our time and energy as long as it doesn't impinge too much on what I want to do. Now, let me be clear about this. That's great. We minister to each other. We serve to each other out of our blessings, out of our bounty, out of what we have to give. I've got extra time here. I can give some of it to help those who are less needy than uh, those who are more needy than I am. Uh, there's, you know, I can give of, the, of my time and energy. I can give of my money to help. All of that is wonderful. That's a great blessing. That is not yet the concept of service that Jesus here is volunteering himself for. He volunteers himself to be one who serves costly, a sacrifice, the pain. And this is built into everything in which the scriptures identify for him. Jesus Christ came to this world to serve in an act of sacrifice. And Jesus Christ then sends each one of his followers into this world to serve as an act of sacrifice. And that doesn't mean just giving out of your abundance. That means giving when it hurts. Giving when it's costly. That's when you have moved from giving from the blessings God has given you to actually giving in a service way that models or parallels the service that our Lord has given to us. Christ came into this world to serve as an act of self-sacrifice first. Secondly, Christ came into this world to serve uh, as an act of self-denial. Service was a position, it was a thing where you placed yourself in a, in a humble position behind, b- below somebody else in order to serve. It is impossible to serve somebody else from looking down upon them. You cannot, you're missing the concept of the word. You can give of your blessings. You can, you can benefit other people if you give of yourself to somebody who you realize is lower on the stratosphere than you, et cetera, et cetera. But only when you serve from a position of humility from a position of self-denial, do you actually begin to serve the way that Jesus serves? Now, what do we mean by this? Remember that idea of Christ, that Christ, though he was God, 
did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself what? He made himself nothing, taking upon himself the form of a servant. This is in Philippians chapter 2 if you need to look the reference up. He made himself nothing so he could be a servant. To be a servant is not an act where you can stand from afar and kind of look at something. This is, by the way, uh, one of the things that we do. We serve from a distance. You cannot serve scripturally from a distance. You have to serve from underneath. You have to serve by ministering to those who you are humble before and who you are counting as greater than yourself. It is an act of self-denial in order to serve the way that Jesus serves. This kind of completely pokes a hole, by the way, in our contemporary culture's primary emphasis upon going out and serving. Why do we volunteer in this society? It's hard to pass up the idea that if you volunteer, you're going to feel good about yourself. That's the psychological message that comes across all the time. If you serve other people, you will feel good about yourself. You'll feel, I feel good about giving of myself to other people. Now, by the way, if you haven't experienced that, you need to get out there and serve other people because it is absolutely true. But that is absolutely not biblical service. Biblical service is giving of yourself when you don't feel good about yourself. That's the idea. Anybody wants to think that Christ was excited about going to the cross has missed that whole section in the scriptures that talk about his weeping, the, the, the pain, the, the, the concern about going to the cross. That's how Christ was serving from a position of humility. Jesus Christ came into this world. He came here to serve as an act of self-denial. And that same Christ has called every one of his followers to go into the world and to serve as an act of self-denial. Not to serve because it makes you feel good. Not to serve, for any, but to serve as an act of self-denial. Thirdly, when Jesus comes to serve, he comes to serve as an act of grace. Jesus comes to serve as an act of grace. We talk about grace a lot, and I don't ever want you to lose sight of it. Grace is this idea that we get something that we do not deserve. Grace is giving somebody that which they do not deserve. And if you are in ministry, or if you care, or if you're in any service where you love somebody else, it takes you no time at all to realize they don't deserve it. Because people are a pain. People are different. And the most needy people are still a pain. You know, it's not like something somehow once they get into a position where they really need my giving, really need of my blessing, somehow they lose their painness. They are still annoying. They are still broken. They are still sinful. And if you spend any amount of time at all with them, you realize that's the case. That's why so many of us serve from a distance. We get on a food line and we give them some food, which is great. 
That has to happen. We, we fill out our checks and we give from a distance. That's great. It has to happen. But by doing that, we can keep our distance from how unbelievably unworthy they are. Because nothing's more annoying than giving of your time, giving of your energy, giving of your space and, all, and, your, and your money to somebody who then you realize doesn't deserve it at all. Because nothing shuts down your willingness to serve than when you realize that the person you're serving is just going to turn around tomorrow and waste everything you're giving them. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus has done for you. Your failure to realize that that is your position before Christ is what makes us lose sight of what it is what he has done when he has served us. When he came to serve, he came full aware of our unworthiness and the fact that for most of the time we are just going to brush off that service and not appreciate what he has done at all. If you've got kids and grandparents give them Christmas gifts, you want them to express their gratitude, right? I mean, it's really annoying when the kids don't express their gratitude. To you, well, you're the parent, you kind of get used to that. Um, but to grandparents, you want them to come outside of themselves and actually express their gratitude to the grandparents, at least, and stuff like that. How, how disappointing that is. And frankly, you want the gratitude to match the nature of the gift. If I give you 20 bucks, say thank you. If I give you 100 bucks, say really thank you. If I give you any more than that, you know, cook me dinner. No, you know, there, I, I, okay. How much gratitude if I give you a million dollars? First off, find out where I stole it. Well, if, if I give you a million dollars and you just brush by and say thanks so much, that's what we do all the time to the great gift, the great service that our Lord has given to us. Because when Christ came to earth, he came to serve as an act of grace to those who don't deserve it. And that same Jesus Christ sends his followers into this world to serve people who don't deserve it. And if you don't have that in mind, you will very quickly get discouraged. You will very quickly stop serving because working in the back of your head constantly is going to be that worm saying, these people don't deserve all this that you are doing. And you're absolutely right. They don't. But that's not why we serve. That's not why Christ served. Why did he serve? Fourthly, because Jesus came to this earth to serve as an act of love. He came to serve as an act of love. The scriptures could not be more clear about this, that the motive for Christ's service was love 
for us. In the midst of knowing who we are, Christ nevertheless comes with love. Now, I want to be clear about this. I'm actually not talking here about divine love. We often talk about that. Whenever we talk about love, we have to clarify. We're talking about agape here. This is that self-sacrificing, giving love. God clearly had that in sending his son. But when Christ served, the love that I'm talking about here is an actual empathy. It's a compassion. It's a, it's a, a, a sentimental love. That's the kind of love that I'm focusing on right now. When Christ came to serve, he came to serve full of compassion, kindness, grace. It doesn't mean he doesn't see me for who I am. Just the opposite. Seeing me for who I am causes him to have more compassion, causes him to have more empathy, realizing the depth of my poverty, realizing the depth of your despair, provokes not frustration in our Lord, but great love and compassion for his people. So, in the one point, Christ came here full of grace, well aware that he was going to self-sacrifice and humble himself for people who absolutely do not deserve it. And at the same time, he does so full of of compassion and love for them. And as Christ came to this world on that Christmas morning to serve as an act of love, so he turns around and sends his followers into this world to serve as an act of love. Which means that every person in this room must learn to see our brothers and sisters and those who are outside the church as those who are absolutely unworthy of our service and yet who are absolutely, completely, dearly loved and the empathy and the compassion that overflows so that we are driven towards one goal and one goal only. That is a willingness to sacrifice ourselves, to sacrifice everything that we have out of our poverty for their blessing and for their benefit. Because that's exactly what Christ has done for us. Jesus came into this world to serve, sacrificially, in humility, with grace, because of love. And that's precisely how he sends you out into this world, to serve, sacrificially, in humility, with grace, and because of love. Now, having said that, I realize my utter inability to do that because I don't think graciously of other people. I'm not empathetic or compassionate to those. I am when I see their picture on TV, but when I start walking side by side with somebody, I lose my compassion 
I lose my empathy. I'm not willing to sacrifice myself. That humility is hard to come by. There's got to be somebody out there that's like me. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, there is nothing sweeter than to be reminded of your sacrifice, of your humility, of your grace, and of your love. Lord God, we stand amazed that you have given such things to us. And then, Lord, there is nothing more convicting or challenging than to realize that you want us, to, you want me to be exactly that way, to sacrifice, to give when it hurts, when it most costs, to serve from a position of lowly humility and not of pride, to serve well aware that those whom I am serving do not deserve it and that my gifting is not based upon their desire and Lord, to have great love and compassion. Lord, we confess to you at this time that we do not model you in that way. And we are so grateful that the cross brings us more and more into a relationship with you where you can keep that transforming work happening in our lives, shaping us and molding us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior,